0: Acts 15. We've been in the Book of Acts as church community last, you know, we've been here for 3 years coming in and out of Book of Acts. And one of the main things we wanted to do through our time in the Book of Acts is again thinking about what does it mean for us to be a church? Right? Not just a church in Jamsil, not just an international church in Jamsil, but what does it really mean? And I thought it'd be really helpful to go back to the beginning of the church in the Book of Acts. Right? Book of Acts talks about the beginning of the church. And how the church grew and did life and ministry. And we thought, hey, it would be great for us to continue to come back for four years. So we'll be here next year as well. Just studying through the book of Acts. And we land in chapter 15 today. Verses 22 to 30. 22 to 30. Let me just catch you up. um, Because I know you guys are not here every week. All right? (laughs) Like that? I'm going to bring that up. Um, Last week we were in Acts 15. Where the Jerusalem Council took place. And Jerusalem Council was an important meeting because as the the Jewish church was growing. As Jews were coming to Christ, God gave Peter a vision of reaching out to non-Jews. Peter had this vision, right? He had this dream. God said, get up and eat. And some of the animals were unclean. And then God leads him to House of Cornelius, a non-Jewish military personnel to reach Atum and his family comes to salvation, and through this, the leaders are struggling. Are we to take the gospel beyond the Jews? And there is important meeting in Jerusalem, uh, and and through that, gospel is reaching to the Gentiles. And as Gen- as Gentiles are coming to the Lord, now another meeting happens in Acts fifteen because now non as non Jews are coming to faith, what are they? supposed to do? Are they supposed to be like the Jews? Are they supposed to be circumcised? Are they supposed to follow the Mosaic law? And Acts 15, Peter and, and John and Barnabas and Paul, they all meet up together with the greater body to determine this decision. What do we do with the with the Gentiles that are becoming Christians? Do we force them to become Jewish in their ways, in their practice? And last week, we were in Acts 15 where they had this big meeting, this big conversation where uh, Paul and Barnabas made this 300-mile trip to the Antioch of Syria to meet with these leaders. And in that decision, uh, it was, you know, they, when they faced these question of whether Gentile believers needed to adhere to the Jewish customs, the apostles and the elders gathered and what? After much discussion and prayer, Peter, Paul, and James, they speak up and they decide. They affirm that salvation comes through faith in Jesus alone and nothing else. That you don't need to be circumcised for you to be able to be a Christian. Right? And, and so in that meeting, the council decides to write a letter so that other people can go take this letter and share and let them know, hey, you guys as Gentile, Gentiles can come to faith and you don't have to follow the Jewish ways. And so this is the, where, th- where we pick up is Acts 15, verse 22 to 30. If you have your Bibles, let's read Acts 15, verse 22 to 30. It's also on the screen if you don't have a phone. You would all have a phone, but yeah. Verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders, with the whole church, to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barabbas. And Silas leading men among the brothers, right? These are leaders that are sent with the following letter. They wrote a letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings, since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. So so they're talking about. The brothers from Jerusalem coming to these Gentile cities, telling them, hey, you want to believe Jesus? You better get circumcised too. And they're saying, hey, we didn't send them. What they're saying is wrong. You don't have to worry about it. Next. It has, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas who themselves will tell you the same things by the word of mouth. So like, we're not just sending Paul and Barnabas. We're going to send our own people and tell you, right? Verse 28, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. So now they're saying, hey, we do have some requirements contextually for the edifying of the church that exists now. And they are that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. Again, Antioch, many Antioch cities. They were sent from Antioch to go to another area called Antioch. There was this guy who was a columbus of the greek world he kept finding cities he kept naming them Antioch, So a little confusing, but different through 300 miles from where the meeting was and they went this is the word of god thanks be to god okay not my explanation but the word all right um so so a few things that we need to unpack from this passage and there's something beautiful about the statement we find in verse 28 when they write this letter they says not only to us but who according to the spirit we made decision not just because we felt like it was good to us but we prayed and holy spirit spoke and according to the spirit we are telling you these things so first thing that i want us to see from our text is this statement right the leaders of the council they were not simply content with relying solely on their own decisions, ideas, wisdom, or understanding. Instead, what we see throughout the book of Acts, they are wholly committed, wholeheartedly committed to what the Spirit is speaking to them about. And in this incident, same thing. In fact, we are reminded once again: the Spirit's leading is not thing of the past. If we believe the book of Acts, not not to be simply something of the past, but it's something that we can apply in our lives today as, as Jesus is coming to hear. We still have the same Spirit leading us the same way. And this idea of Holy Spirit leading us is just as relevant to us as the time as the people at the time of the letter. Um, but we know it takes great discipline and intentionality and humility to hear from what the spirit is trying to say in our lives well first of all you live in soul you are busy i feel like when i try to schedule something with you guys it's like four you know four cancellation and then fifth form we might meet we might never meet right we are so busy and we always feel like there's a decision that needs to be made and there is this pressure we gotta go now we got to make this whether as a community whether as individuals there is this rush of what it means, to, like Bali, Bali culture of living in soul, right? And so, almost like it, it really takes intentionality for us to even try to hear from the Spirit. Um, especially when we feel particularly strong about a direction of the decision, right? Whether it's like leaving your job. You, you feel like, oh, this is, this is the time I gotta leave my job. W- for whatever reason, relationships, the workload, you feel stuck in your career, whether it's moving to another city, right? Some of you guys been in Korea for a while and you're getting antsy and you're like, Lord, am I supposed to go back? Am I supposed to go to a new country? What, whether it's exploring a new career or a new relationship, letting go of something, when we feel like we have a strong sense of what we want to do, it is even harder to really seek what the Spirit wants us to do in this season. And and friends, not every inclination of your heart and my heart or the sense of peace. We we love, I feel peace about it, right? I I hear this all the time. I say this too. I feel peace about this decision. Every peace you feel in your heart does not mean that, that might not be what God wants from you, okay? Not saying it isn't, not saying it is, but I think we've got to pause and make sure not every sense of peace is God affirming the direction that you want to go. You get me? You hear me? Right? First Samuel 15 is a great example. Remember King Saul, the first king of Israel? God had given Saul a clear command to destroy and attack the enemy and don't keep anything from Amalek's, including their livestock, right, to punish evil and to make sure None of those impure things transition to God's people. However, what did Saul do? Saul made a personal decision and said, you know what? Maybe not everything. I could keep a few things, a few livestock. I can use at the temple. I can give God a bigger offering. Right? He made this decision to keep some of the things against God's clear direction. And he spared King Agag and and the story in 1 Samuel 15, claiming what? He did it so that he can give it back to God. He clearly disobeys God, thinking, oh, I'm going to, this is what I think the Lord wants. And he felt very confident about his decision in the story. So when Samuel, who was the prophet at the time, comes to confront Saul, because God speaks to Samuel and says, go, because Saul, man, he's not listening to me. You better go tell him what's going on. So Samuel shows up, and what does he say? Very famous words of Samuel that we, 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 we hear. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed, I love that word, is better than fat of rams. The word heed in that text is kashab. Kashab, which conveys the idea of paying close attention to, to listening to, to being attentive to one's voice, to take his words seriously, and to act in accordance with his will. That's what it means to Kashab. Yet, so, he did many things really well, right? He won many battles. And he had a lot of accolades, but at the end, he did not heed the words of the lord and This is not the only time there 's another time later when he gives another sacrifice that is not proper to the lord and and at that time lord says I, i've done i 'm done with this man i 'm going to raise up a new man, a new new king named David, and we know the story again Saul was very successful in these battles and winning and things like that. One thing he continued to fail to do was wait on the Lord and hear from him. And some of us are in the middle of making a very important decision. Not all of us, some of us. Um, My encouragement to you as you are, and I know you guys have shared with me, oh, I'm thinking about doing this, thinking about that. I want to just encourage you, if I have not already, lay your desires before the Lord. You can say, Lord, this is what I want. That's fine. That's fine. At least you're honest. Some of you guys are like, oh, Lord, whatever you want. I don't want it, but if you give it to me, I'll be happy. You know, like, <laughs> you know, we do that. But no, lay your desire to God. Say, God, this is what I want. But listen to his voice, listen to his response. God could say yes. He could say no. But you guys are not going to like this. He could say, wait. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. But really, intentionally create space so that you can hear his leading just like Book of Acts. And that goes for our community as elders, right? Elder Evan, Elder Charles, myself, as we're praying for next year, we got to wait and say, okay, Lord. Because, you know, when we meet and when we gather, things seem practical, things seem good, yet we cannot lead our community simply by, oh, what we think is good. What we feel, it it feels like there's peace about it. No, we got to be intentional about seeking the Lord. And that practically we need to be in the Word, right? God speaks to, God has already revealed His will for us through Scripture. Yes, God has special revelation for a special time, right? And God has maybe spoken to some of you guys audibly, but usually, for the most part, God has revealed His will in the Scripture for us. The problem is, without reading the Word, we want to hear from God. We want God to just download stuff for us without willingness to read the Word, right? Because through God's word, what do we find? We find God's character. We find God's principles. We find His will already revealed to us. And this is foundational in making any kind of decision. The second thing is seek wise counsel from your community. right? God has given you mature people around you in this community for you to be able to come and seek counsel. To be like, hey... Pastor, hey, Elder, I'm thinking about, I feel like God is telling me this. What do you think? But here's a here's challenge, right? We had every month all the English, uh, most of the English ministry or English church pastors gathered to pray and hang out. And one of the pastors was sharing in his devotion. He's like, you know what? I feel like a lot of church people now, not me, him, okay? All right? <laughs> I'm creating the story now. Um, a lot of people come to us, come to me with already their mind made up. They just want me to put my blessings on them, right? They just want me to affirm what they think. And he was like, as soon as I question or I try to reason, it's like they're they're shocked. Like, oh, no. And, 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 you know, so I think when we seek counsel, when we're trying to hear from someone, we got to be ready to hear what they have to say, not just wanting affirmation on what you're deciding as well. So those are some practical things. All right? Cool? All right. Um, that's Pastor from the... Devo- it's real. It's not me, okay? It's not me. Be very clear. Um, but again, we got to create space for the Spirit to speak to us today as you are in the middle of making a decision. Wh- what are you thinking about? Small or big? Thinking about, wh- wh- where are you leading us next year? Where are you leading me th- in this season? Um, it seemed good, to the Holy Spirit, that's the most important thing. If it doesn't seem good to you, yeah, that's not great. But if it seems good to the Holy Spirit, that's good. If it seems good to you and good to the Holy Spirit, great. That's gold medal right there, right? But I'll take silver, right? If it's not good to us, but if you feel like God's leading us, that's good, right? It's about creating space to hear from Him. Amen? Whatever it is. I don't know what decision you're making. Some of you guys I do know, but for most of you guys I don't know. But, but be prayerful. Don't, oh, this is practical, or this makes sense, or this is no-brainer, or if I miss this opportunity, I'm going to regret for it. No, that's, none of that matters because if you're, if you're making decisions outside of God's will, you're going to be miserable anyway eventually, okay? So the most important thing is seeking the Lord. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm repeating myself. So, so the letter mentions four requirements in verse 29, right? So they're like, you don't have to be like Jews, you don't have to be circumcised. Everyone's like, yeah, no circumcision, that's a big deal, right? Yeah, awesome. Uh, but they do say, hey, because of the context, this is very contextual. What they ask, I have, they say four things that I want to tell you to stay away from as new believers, as new Gentile believers. Um, food that was sacrificed to idols. Food from blood, from what has been strangled, from any sexual immorality. And some assume, many scholars, they debate. There's lots of written on this. I read, I mean, there are many, many arguments about why these four and what's the reason. And some assume the list above was put together in order to promote greater table fellowship between the Jews and the Gentiles, right? So that Gentiles would not hinder Jews when they're eating together by eating the things that would hinder Jews, Because Jews are still following Mosaic law and these customs. Um, But one thing that is clear, and that's part of it, but one thing that is clear is all four requirements, if you look at those four requirements in verse 29, are either directly or indirectly related to issue of pagan worship. It's really issue of idolatry. Everything that is mentioned here has to do with area of pagan worship. Again, many co- commentators conclude that the list requirement is heavily contextual, right? So for us, like eating sundae is not, like you know, sundae, the blood. So I'll say that's not for us, but for them, this is very contextual. Um, and the primary concern here is not just about being considerate of their Jewish brothers and sisters, but it was about purity of their newfound faith in a heavenly polytheistic context. Let me explain what that means. Remember, prior to many of these Gentiles coming to Christ, all of these new believers were worshiper of many gods and goddesses. They are coming from a polytheistic, right? Multiple gods, worshipper of multiple gods. That was the way of life for anybody at the time. And every aspect of their existence revolved around visiting these local temples, offering prayers for favor and blessing. Each gods and goddesses of their culture, of their city, had distinct characteristics. They had functions, dominions, someone in charge of fertility, someone in charge of protection, healing, agriculture, right? So if you wanted to have a baby, you needed to visit this local temple and give alms and pray. If you are in the harvest season and you're about to harvest your, your your hard work, you go to this temple and you pray, ask for favor, right? That was just a way of life. It wasn't like they had the weather app and like, oh, let's look up the weather. Nothing like that, right? That was part of life. Everybody comes from their belief system, a polytheistic belief system. And all their life, they saw the world through the lens of these gods and goddesses. If they if they could not have kids, it was like, well, I must have upset upset this God of fertility. If the harvest wasn't good that year, well, I, I didn't do something right. I have to make it right. That was the worldview. And this, po- this po- po- posed a great risk for many of these new believers that they're now new in Christ, the newfound faith of, of, in Jesus, mixing and matching their old beliefs with their newfound faith in Jesus. Mixing and matching. Blending their faith in Jesus with elements of pre-existing local religions, worldviews, and philosophies. Worldviews and philosophies. How they saw the world through what they worshiped before, and now there is Christ. And and basically, the leaders of Jerusalem did not want them just adding Christ to be part of that that belief, how the world worked. The technical word here, really what, what... the, the letter is trying to prevent is this word called syncretism. Everyone say syncretism. Syncretism is a belief system when a belief system tries to adapt and blend in with other existing belief systems. By mixing other beliefs, it is no longer what it was because it had come together. So when you go to Buddhist temples in Korea, this is very unique to Korea, right? Uh, you'll find many of these temples have statues other shamanistic uh, shrines. That's not common in like India and other uh, places, other Buddhist temples. Only in Korea, because Buddhism was introduced to Korea in the fourth century AD, and when Korean shamanism had been here much longer, it sort of morphed into and 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 sort of blended and mixed their beliefs. So when you go to temples, these. Buddhist temples in Korea, you'll see shaman shrines everywhere or on the way. And part of the ritual is like mixed and together. So that's syncretism. And what the letter is saying is this should not happen with the gospel. Gospel is not going to be able to mix or shouldn't be mixed with other belief and other philosophies. Um, and, And John 14, 6, Jesus says, and Jesus claims this right exclusivity, na- exclusive nature of Christianity is very clear. John fourteen six, Jesus says, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to to the Father except through me. Not good works, not through the mosaic law, not by being circumcised, but only Jesus, and nothing else. You could come to the Father. And this isn't merely a theological construct that i'm trying to unpack with you guys but a profound truth that defines who we are at the core what jesus says what jesus said in john 14 16 it, it, it defines who we are from the core we talked about this last week as well right faith in christ alone and this very very essence of what we believe right the world appalls at this claim saying christianity is too exclusive and close-minded Yet in a world of diverse beliefs and ideologies, maintaining this distinctiveness becomes a testament, testimony to an unwavering truth we hold dear. This is what makes us unique. That we say only through Christ and nothing else. And it is a declaration that within the Christian faith lies a unique and unparalleled to God a path marked by the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. That's why we preach Christ and the cross at the end. That's it. So how does this look? So you're like, so what, Pastor Simon? Polytheistic, syncretism, what what is it all about? Okay, let me tell you, so what? What does this practically look for us in everyday life? How does this text apply to us? Because truth is, most of us did not grow up in a polytheistic culture. Many of us grew up in Christian culture, Christian homes, right? So for us, like, how does this relate to us? I'm glad you asked. I asked, but I'm assuming you're asking that. Um, You see, verse 29, these list of things, is an important challenge that we need to heed today, here and now. Although many of us did not grow up in a polytheistic culture, and we come from a very different context from the time the letter was written, You see, many of us have been raised in a culture profoundly shaped not by gods and goddesses but by ideals such as individualism, consumerism, and diversity and inclusion. These are just to name few. These are worldviews. Not all of us. We come from different places. But I feel like largely when I look at our congregation, these are the things that we have been raised by, whether we realize or not. And these societal values... They are, I'm not saying they're terrible, they're not bad. Uh, All I'm saying is they are not always compatible with what Jesus has taught us and how we ought to live out our faith. And they have profoundly shaped how you and I see the world. Uh, Even me, growing up in America, politically and and, and some of these things, it's not like I took a class on individualism. But growing up in America... I feel I'm much more individualistic than someone if I grew up in Korea. Materialism, all these things are just, these are things that I've just breathed for the last how many years, and this is part of who I am. Um, and these things not only profoundly shape how you and I see the world, but how we see God and our faith in Jesus as well, more than we realize. Example, consumerism. The pursuit of material possessions, wealth, and consumer goods often take on quasi-religious quality. Have you been to a, a Black Friday in America? Like people will like hit each other for like, PA, like a PlayStation or just, you know, have you seen people wait? Like when you walk by Gangnam, you see people lining up at a store and they're like lines and lines and people are like camping out there because they're releasing new Jordans. New iPhone comes out. I mean, not in Korea, but in America, people are standing in line, right? Uh, sort of worship, right? Sort of weird. But we see it, and we're like, oh, that's part of what we do. Um, and if we're honest, many of us, even in the church, we devote significant time, energy, resources, because we want these things. We not only want these things, we want to show people that we have these watches, these cars, we, we're not Android user, right? That's a big deal, I guess. I guess, I guess like in America, like people are like, well, I'm not dating Android users, right? Only, only iPhones right? or whatever. Like we, we find so much identity in our products and things like that. Uh, so if we're not intentional, consumerism can totally reshape how we think about Jesus and what he calls it, how, how he calls us to live. There's a real temptation for us to pick and choose parts of faith according to what we like. Even the way we view our Christian community, what kind of church we go to, why we leave a church, or why we look for a new church, what we like about our church, how should we run our church. It becomes very transactional. Turning faith into a kind of give and take where personal gain takes. Everything over all other things like serving and loving the community and trusting that God has called you here. This idea of what's in it for me. You know, you know, pastor, church planter, I've had so many people throughout the years that tell me what I should do and how I should, you know, how I should, you know, be able to, like, better coffee, better parking, shorter service, don't make these jokes, make these jokes. Um, So many advices. And they're like, you know, that's why, that's how your church is going to grow. And they're good, right, because they're like, Good devices, like those are good things. But then, what are we growing into? What are we creating? Where is the standard? What are we doing here? What is a good church? That's a great question. What does it mean for us to be a good church? Excessive individualism. When we prioritize personal freedom above all else. So I moved to America when I was 10. You know, I grew up in, like, countryside Korea, two traffic lights, tiny town, uh, no English. only phrase I knew was, I am a boy. That's how I knew. I never used it because I look like a boy, you know. No one would be like, okay. I go to school. Spring Hill Elementary School, right by CIA headquarters, McLean, Virginia. I go to class. I have no idea what's going on. I'm this, like, country boy from Korea just sitting in very rich school. And Mrs. Ogilvie, I, I, I meet this teacher, and this teacher looks at someone who's, I don't even know his name, like Tom, my, my classmate, first day of school, and she goes, please. I go, please? Like, sh- the teacher asked Thomas, please sit down. Here I am, coming from a context where I'll be beaten if I'm standing when I'm, I'm not sure I go to America, I'm just like, oh my goodness. And I just see this sort of vastly shaping when I think about life and when I think about how I should co- conduct my life. Um, I don't know why I told you that story. That's not ind- anyway, in- back to individualism. These, with these, when these ideologies are not rooted out by our faith in Christ, when, 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 we, when our faith does not root out these things from us, when we're not intentionally rooting these things out, Faith becomes a product we choose. Again, rather than something shared with others. We make decisions and chase personal fulfillment without considering how they affect others in our community. Friends, Jesus has called you and I to give away our lives for others. To lay it down. To engage. To encourage. To empower. To entrust others. Not simply say, what's in it for me? That's just two. That's just two. Right? We could go on and on about different beliefs and societal values that have seeped into our view of who Jesus is. And Jesus has warned us. It's okay, Chima. It's okay. No problem. Um, Jesus has warned us through the parable of the soil in Mark chapter 4. He talked about this. And he talks about different types of soils. And he talks about different types of results. In the third soil, Mark chapter 4, verse 18, he says, The others are the ones sown among the thorns, and these are the ones, they hear the gospel, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in, and they choke the word, it proves unfruitful. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying exactly what we talked about. He's saying, at the turf of every human heart, my heart, your heart, we all have something that is in competition with our af- affection and commitment to Jesus, whether that's our pursuit of love, money, influence, acceptance, to be diverse, ident- to, to be inclusive, whether that's that's identity or certain belief system or values. When those things continue to g- grow along our faith, Jesus says, "You may be planted. You might do better. You." At least the birds have not robbed of the seed. So you may be planted. You may even grow. You may be rooted. But he says, you will remain unfruitful. These things will eventually choke whatever growth that you have experienced in Christ. So friends, I, I, this is intense. I don't, I'm going like to really pack really <laughs> intensity. But this is a serious matter. Um, And Jesus never once sugar-coated this reality that we're going to face as we go out and try to practice our faith. In John 15, Jesus said, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it will love you as, as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. See, if we're, if we're part of the world, it will readily embrace us as it does, on its, as, as it does its own. However, because we're not of this world, friends, at least that's what we've, we've decided. We've decided to follow Jesus. And no turning back. The song that we sing and because we are not of this world, friends, there will be tensions, gaps, challenges, pushbacks. As we do our best to try to remain faithful to what the scripture has challenged us to do. And really, and this is, this is where we'll end. The, 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 the most, when I think about the state of Christianity today, and this is a general statement, not every church, not every Christian, but I would say this the challenge that, 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 that's facing many Christians today isn't that we aren't relevant enough. Right? I think, like, maybe 30 years ago, there was, like, the, the conversation, is the church relevant enough? Can people understand our message? Is there a way we can do things where people will be able to accept us? I think it's that in our attempt to be relevant, we have become heavily diluted, and even some ways, compromising. I think in our attempt to be so relevant in our workplace, with our non-Christian friends, with the non-Christian family members, in our attempt to be relevant, which is a good thing, it's not a bad thing, we've gone the other way where we can't even identify Christians. People can't even identify some of you, Right? Sometimes, your you coworkers might find out you're a Christian, they'll be shocked. But I didn't know that person was Christian. I didn't know that person went to church. And this is not, this is a common, I think, challenge that faces the church today. And I'm not going to apologize, because I really think that's the reality of the, where the church is. Like, Easter service. When you see Easter service, not to call it, Amer- I'm American, I can do it. Like, American churches, what they do, I'm like, Is this a nightclub or is this church? What are we trying to do here? If you're totally non-Christian and just enjoy the experience and walk away like, oh, that was great. I'll come back next week. I'll come back six months. I'll come back for a year. Oh, you guys are Christians? This This was a church? And we can do that too. Our church can do that too. Again, if we're not intentional about trusting in the words of Jesus, if they they hated you, it's because they hate me. If you were part of the world, they would embrace you. Friends, God, above all else, God has called us to be holy. Holy literally means to be set apart, to be distinguishable. To be undiluted. Is that a word? Undiluted? To be undiluted so that they could recognize us for who we are. This isn't anything new. Like this challenge is not new to today, right? Throughout the history, both Old Testament and New Testament are filled with stories of God's people facing the same challenges the Canaanites, the Babylonians, telling them hey, submit to us, mix with us, marry us, let's go together. And it's comforting to know that they weren't perfect. God's people were not always set apart, always did the right thing, always kept away and identifiable. It's comforting to know that many struggle mightily, just like how we may be struggling with this. Yet time after time, God in his wonderful mercy and grace came to our rescue just as he did, For the Israelites in Babylon, right, amongst the Canaanites, yeah, we're not going to get it right all the time. We're going to make mistakes. But God, in his mercy and grace, he invites us once again. He brings us back. So friends, my encouragement to you is to lean into these tensions that you may feel at work, at home, in our culture, do not think something isn't right when you feel like, oh, I feel like an oddball in, in my wherever. Rather, look at Christ. In the, in the early part of his ministry, Jesus, Satan takes Jesus, right? Jesus fasts, 40 days, 40 nights, Satan takes Jesus. And Satan tempts Jesus by presenting him with choices that clearly went against God's vision, right? Satan says, if you do these things, you're going to be able to get there. And Jesus clearly knew that's not the way Father had called me to. And rather than scumming, rather than falling into the lure of power and control over the world, Jesus, what, he chose to submit himself to God's plan even till the end. Even when God called him to go to the cross. And Jesus, the king of the kings, his true coronation is not, was not on some earthly throne, but it was what? On that cross, on that rugged cross, he was raised up as the king of kings. And so the cross of Jesus serves as a powerful reminder that true life is found when we choose to obey even when it seems utterly stupid and foolish. To the eyes of the world, we find life. Friends, we find life by giving away ours. We find salvation by choosing to die to ourselves. Amen? Let me pray. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this reminder and this challenge, Lord. And Lord, we do ask for conviction, not because the pastor's preaching and he's fired up, but because really, Holy Spirit, you are surgically challenging us in certain areas of our lives. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to continue to press in that we will not just simply walk away thinking, ah, that was a good thought. That was a good exercise. But really, as we go to our homes, go to our workplace, engage with the world, that we would be challenged differently, Lord. And through us dying to ourselves, Lord, you, you will be glorified. People would come to know you. Our coworkers would come to know you in a powerful way. Our friends would come to know you in a powerful way. And it's not just simply we're on defense, trying to hold on to our faith until Jesus you come, but it's we're on offense, challenging, you know, these, these ways of the world, in you know, a way that is pleasing to you, Lord. We thank you, we love you, just name me, pray, Amen.